Welcome to Buildings and Beyond. The podcast that explores how we can create a more sustainable built environment. By focusing on efficiency, accessibility, and health. I'm Rob Aldrich. And I'm Kelly Westby. This week, I'm talking with Maureen Molly, who's the Managing Director of Sustainable Housing Services here at Stephen Winter Associates, or SWA, S-W-A, as you'll probably hear us call it. She's been here for at least 12 years, has been involved in green building programs since Lead for Homes came out and many programs since then. I believe I read she has certified over 12,000 homes or housing units uh, since she started here. This episode, we're focusing on health and green buildings, which is a big topic, an important topic, a topic around which there's a lot of different advice, a lot of different programs advising not necessarily the same things. Uh, It can be overwhelming to many. It is overwhelming to me at times, but you have to start somewhere. So that's that's what we're going to talk about. Here's my interview with Mo. And thanks for being here. Thanks for Uh, having me. We're here to talk about buildings and health, or green buildings and health, which is a huge topic. So we're going to scratch the surface and do an overview. And of course, health is a huge part of green buildings. It's one of the tenets. But there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of misunderstanding. There's a lot of, there are a lot of different programs that say a lot of different things. And I know you've given it quite a bit of thought. Um, It's a huge topic, but... Yeah. Having you give us a primer or an overview of some of the issues and what some of the programs are good for and not so good for. Sure. That would be great. Absolutely. So I guess I'll start by saying I have absolutely no training in topics surrounding health whatsoever. But you're, medical, you're not a doctor. I am not a doctor. I have no medical background whatsoever. My mother was a nurse. That's as close right. as I get. Um But in my role working on buildings and advising people who work on buildings, uh, I actually have a lot of influence over human health, as do all of us in this industry. So that's kind of the basic tenet that got me interested in this is starting from the place of we're not health experts, and yet we have a big impact on health. Therefore, we have a duty to figure out some basic things, and more importantly, to um, start taking action even if we don't have everything figured out. If we wait until we know the absolutes, we're never going to get anything done and we could potentially do, you know, more damage in the near term and in the long term. Gotcha. So code built buildings, what what do codes do for us? Do codes give us any kind of basic level of health protection? Codes get into ventilation, which is which is important. Um, mostly focused only on new construction. There are very few codes that retroactively address ventilation in buildings, and ventilation is what we're doing to basically remove pollutants. Ventilation levels set by code are intended to be sort of minimally safe. Um, And there is a difference, as we're starting to find out, between minimally safe and optimally healthy, right? So there's actually a pretty big gap there. Um, I can throw it out right now. One of the the pieces of research around this is the COG FX study, and we'll link that in the show notes for this. But, you know, long story short and, and summarizing, you know, very, very briefly, 
it's sort of like if you double your ventilation, you might be twice as smart, roughly. <laughs> <laughs> so that's right. uh, that's the kind of thing we're talking about is the difference between you know surviving, which is what code is aimed at, and sort of um, living your life to the fullest and and sort of being uh, you know. In, in peak operating condition gotcha. as humans, just like we want our buildings to be in peak operating right. conditions. So not only just do no harm, but actually make, can it, make can, environments better. Right. Can we make ourselves healthier? Yep. Absolutely. So, and buildings, I mean, this is much more a topic we're thinking about now, recently, you know, certainly more than 10 years ago and certainly more than 30 years ago. But, you know, buildings are different. Buildings are getting tighter. Is that one of the main reasons why it's a growing concern? Or are people getting yeah. more paranoid? I mean, what? I think it's a mix of factors. I think buildings are getting tighter. I think we've got more products from more places around the world than ever before. We've got more plastics. We've got more composites. We've got all yeah. kinds of stuff, some of which is touted to be healthy, um, but it may be evaluated for certain criteria, or, or it, it may be touted as being green in one aspect, like because it contains post-consumer recycled content, may not actually be healthy, right? So we've got more products, we've got tighter buildings. Um, We have people with more sensitivities and uh, maybe more health conditions that they're managing because we've had, you know, declining air quality, even outdoor air quality in places like the asthma corridor in the Bronx or what have you. We now have people that have environmentally inflicted asthma. And so then they're going to be more sensitive to what's inside their homes and their workplaces as well, right? So it kind of all trickles down. Um, So it's that kind of combination things. I think it also, we are paying more attention to health and buildings because we have more information. I think it's incomplete. I think it's a little bit scattered, but in general, we're starting to see bits and pieces of information come through that some of the things we were promoting as being really great are maybe not so great. And that's not really new, right? I mean, we've been down this path with asbestos and formaldehyde yep. and yep. lots of things. Um, but now we start to get more information. And, and as we do, you know, we've got a responsibility to follow through and, and utilize that information. I mean, one of the um, resources that I think is really pretty cool now, I mean, it's it's kind of creepy, but it's really great, is if you ever see these warnings from California Proposition 65 on products, I mean, you see it on Amazon, right? Yep. And be like, oh, this has got that warning. And that's a requirement to disclose if you're containing chemicals known to cause cancer, birth defects, or other reproductive harm. In the so, state of California. In the state of California. Here and, in Connecticut, we're probably fine. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I'm sure it's, it's totally different, right? It's always, it's always baffled me when I, I go and buy something. I Recently, I bought something on Amazon. I forget what it was. Yeah. And it had that label on it. This yeah. product is known to cause cancer in the state of California. Yeah, but nowhere else. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> but, different standards. <laughs> so we can use other you know, metrics that maybe some of the um, more uh, progressive entities have adopted and sort of extrapolate those back to ourselves you know, and say, okay, maybe I don't have to know it. As a building science person and not a, a medically trained person, maybe I don't have to know everything. Maybe I can adopt these other proxies to help me figure out my way through this whole health in gotcha. buildings question. Gotcha. But, and, but as you said, we know more and more. Like we know now asbestos is bad to be avoided. We know right. radon is bad. Um, but I guess that list is kind of is growing. Well, it is growing. I, in, in some ways, I don't think that the basic list has changes. The Center for Disease Control and everybody and EPA and everyone has kind of agreed on these top risk factors. And it's 
as, as human health is affected in buildings, um, and it's tobacco smoke, right? Yeah. Which, uh, again, something not regulated by code per se, may right. be regulated by covenant or something um, other than a code. Or municipalities, yeah. Yep. Uh, biological contaminants, so that's most often things like mold, right? And again, code not necessarily addressing it. Um, combustion byproducts, which may be addressed by code. So certainly to a certain degree, yeah, if you have combustion equipment in a building, there yep. are certainly requirements how you need to vent it safely. Human health is also affected by household products and practices, and that's really tough to control. But that's where those consumer warnings, like the Proposition 65, kind of come in. Gotcha. Like, hey, maybe air fresheners aren't the best idea in the world, <laughs> right? Or that's that's uh, an yeah. example. But there's lots of you know flame retardants in your couch and yep. stuff like that. That's um, known carcinogens, basically. And that, and known, really accepted, pretty much across the board. I mean, not just in California, or it's. It's a range. I'm sure there's a lot of ambiguity in there. Okay. I think that um, I, for one, am willing to trust some of the folks that have done the research, yeah. like the healthy buildings, you know, resources in um, at the Center for Healthy Buildings, places like that. I don't know. I mean, yes, we could investigate every single one ourselves, but as practitioners, I don't think we have the time. time. <laughs> really? <laughs> the funding, the yep. bandwidth to do that. So, yeah, we're kind of accepting some of these proxies, especially the ones that are cited in multiple sources, by multiple sources, multiple locations. Um, so we're kind of starting at the, the high level there. And that's, you know, toxic materials. I mean, I think that that's going to continue to probably change the most in the near future as those things are defined a little bit differently. We've really had this approach in this country where, all materials are innocent until proven guilty, unlike, you know, drugs or food or other things, which, from my limited understanding of those industries, are sort of guilty till proven innocent. Right, right. Yep. We're absolutely the opposite in building materials. You know, we're not allowed to say it's like slander if we say that, you know, vinyl is bad for us <laughs> until it's been proven in, uh, in multiple, you know. Lawsuits. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, another big one on this list uh, of the toxic, the top, the top ten or whatever toxic things from CDC is radon, and you mentioned that briefly. Huge problem in the Northeast as well as other parts of the country. And this is one where it's really tricky because the EPA recommended levels for picocuries per liter are not what's recommended by the health entities. So this is a place where, for all intents and purposes, code is in conflict with what health people are recommending. They're recommending two or lower. That's the the World Health Organization has figured out that if you dropped the number from four to two, you would cut the instances of lung cancer caused by radon in half. This is picocuries per... Picocuries per liter. Per liter? Okay. Yeah. Now, yeah. with radon, and this, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but it's tricky to monitor radon down at levels that low, I understand. I thought one of the reasons it got stuck at four was because we can't really measure more yeah. accurately below that with affordable tools. When everybody wants to buy a house, you get the little packet. Those aren't maybe as accurate, but I, maybe that's maybe that's a red herring. I maybe. think there's there are questions around the accuracy. Okay. Um, I mean, you know, the the radon professional I hired at my house <laughs> told me, for example, in my conditions where we've got humidity in the basement, which is one of the places I wanted to test because um, it's outside the condition envelope. He told us to uh, to use the um, scintillation liquid tests instead okay. of the 
the activated carbon tests or gotcha. whatever. So there's some things you can do with those home tests. But yeah, and, and it changes over time. It changes seasonally. So you kind of have to stay um, stay active a little bit and keep, you know, keep participating in your own yep. personal radon monitoring Good. if you want to want to maintain safe levels. Yeah. And that's something I think we talked about. Well, we'll talk about that when we when we talk about what what do we do? Yeah. And maybe we should talk about All right. There's proven things that are bad for us. Right. There are some proven practices that are good for us. How do we, you know, we have to go beyond code. You have to yeah. embrace some programs and there I know you've gone through several programs I have with gone respect to yeah health and indoor air quality yep and they're not all the same they're not all the same um i mean the one that's probably at the top of the list in terms of people's familiarity if they've been watching this conversation develop over the last five years is well building standard okay it's aggressive which is pretty recent relatively recent five years ten years Five years, ten years. Yeah, I actually okay. don't remember when it right. when it came out. Um, but it's uh, it's something that is um, aggressive, thorough, addresses all aspects of health as has been determined by the International Well Building Institute. Um, so everything from the food that's offered in buildings to uh, you know the ventilation and the other things that we've been talking about and the materials for sure. They get into water quality, which very few other uh, green building rating systems do. And one of the things that they always sort of tout, one of the statistics actually comes from the Center for Disease Control. It talks about what the impact, what the various uh, social determinants of health are for an individual. And they are, you know, citing this this study or these group of studies that talks about the fact that, you know, your genetics actually only makes up about 5% of your health outcomes, which is not what we would instinctively think, right? You'd ask people what's going to determine your, your health and you think, oh, it's got to be like, you know, 60% genetics and 40% lifestyle choices. Nope, it's not. Um, Center for Disease Control... Uh, and we'll put this in the show notes as well, but they're saying that uh, genes or your biology are less than 5%. Your lifestyle is around 20%. The medical care you receive is about 15%. And your physical and social environment, which is where you live, discrimination, income, your gender, all that stuff, is at least 55%. So the, <laughs> the catchphrase is like, it's not your genetic code, it's your zip code gotcha. <laughs> that is affecting... Go down, go do those one more time real quickly. For, so genetics sure. was genetics and biology is about is less than five percent okay. of your health outcomes. Uh, lifestyle is responsible for about twenty percent. The medical care you get is about fifteen percent, and then your physical and social environment All right. is fifty five percent. That's where buildings are. That last that's category. buildings lie there. I mean, yeah. how big a portion of that is? You know, I can't say, yep. but it's probably bigger than your genetics, right? <laughs> that's a good point. Very <laughs> so, good point. So this is, I mean, that's the kind of thing that really spurred me to start looking at this and figuring out what can we do because pretending that we're not having an effect on people's health in the, the building science industry, in the architectural or engineering or buildings development industries is, it's false. It's cop out. Yeah, yeah. Or, just, or just being overwhelmed also. Just, you know, unclear advice, right. too much advice. So we don't know where to start, so we do nothing. Analysis paralysis, yeah. yeah. And that is where I think that these rating systems and so on 
are valuable. And I'm not necessarily saying do the whole rating system, but I'm saying if you don't have the time to research all of these aspects to the you know zillionth degree yourself, yep. refer to these as tools, compare them to each other, pick out the parts that seem to apply the best to your project or your circumstance mm-hmm. or what you can control in a project, and then do something. Right, so that's that's Good. kind of what I yeah. be it with respect to radon for. or you know or, or whatever is is yeah. important to you or your clients or your tenants or absolutely. Yeah. So if you think uh, you know water quality in your building might be worth exploring, well, well, building standard is the only one that seems to have much of a reference at all for water quality. So gotcha. use theirs. I gotcha. don't know. I don't know if it's the best. I don't know if it's the ultimate, but it exists. It's clearly written down, and you can test for gotcha. it. Gotcha. So Very it's good. um it's practicable, I guess. So that's why I would, you know, check it recommend out. Recommend that. But it's not the only one for sure. Yep. Um, Fitwell is an interesting one that's gaining a lot of traction. It's I think a more um, it's a uh, it's a lighter touch than well. Is it's, that related to well? It is not the names similar, are similar names. But, okay. Totally different organizations, but it is similar in that it attempts to address these various you know health factors. It was real originally designed for um, commercial office buildings, but now they're branching out into residential versions and things like that. It's um it's designed to be more of an entry level. Like if if well is let's say the you know the sort of platinum standard, fit well is sort of the I don't know what to do, where do I start? Okay. Start here. Um so that's that's a program to consider. And then you know, I think it's important to recognize that things that have been around for quite a while, including the lead family of rating systems, including enterprise green communities, those have all kinds of health elements baked into them, some as prerequisites, some as um, optional points. Mm-hmm. So if you actually kind of look at the risk, those top 10 CDC risk factors of buildings and how they affect human health, and you map it against something like the lead rating systems, they do something for every single one of those aspects. Cool. But it might be optional. It might be, it might be a prerequisite. So just because you're Getting one of those certifications doesn't mean that you've necessarily built an optimally healthy building because you can skirt certain ones of them and you can do other things well, but then drop some major pieces of the of the puzzle. Um, however, if you wanted to, you could use the guidance that's in those rating systems to build a pretty healthy building. And Energy Star has one too, right? Energy Energy Star. They do. Indoor, indoor Air, Air Plus. Yep, Indoor Air Plus. It wasn't designed to be an accompaniment. And that's very interesting because these, these pieces are all a little bit different. These rating systems are yeah. a little bit different. Indoor Air Plus was written for builders to read and implement themselves. So it doesn't address any of the stuff. Like that home they, builders. Home builders, okay. yep. Really? So it's really residential? It's focus. residential, but it's also very prescriptive. It's like, do this, do that, avoid uh, this, put okay. in that. Which is kind of a nice place to start, actually. (laughs) What it doesn't touch on, which is actually what Well and Fitwell are super heavy on, is any of that sort of end-user choice about things like how are you actually going to operate your systems? What kind of furniture are you going to put in there? What kind of chemicals are going to be in that furniture? You know, those sorts of things. So um, it really sort of, the responsibility under that type of a program, under Indoor Air Plus, really stops at, you know... Yep. The, the day that you turn over the keys. Yeah, yep. yeah, and that's a great point with as far as, you know, it's not just the specs you use to build a home. We talked about radon briefly because this is, you know, installing a passive, passive radon vent is pretty typical in new construction. 
And then the idea, as you said, you know, you can test after construction. And if you have a problem, you can add a fan and make it active and really mitigate radon. How many people follow up and right. do the testing to, to actually check for radon and see if they need to add a fan or do a more rigorous solution? I mean, that's one of the challenging things about health and buildings is that it spans all the way through. And if you drop the ball anywhere between design and 15 years of occupancy, you can kind of, yep. you know, undermine what you set out to do. But that isn't to say that we should put it all on the occupants. And sometimes that's the that's the trend, right? I mean, one of the topics I like to talk about that's a great example where design really matters is the um, active design concepts about how buildings are designed in the first place to allow people to and entice people to move physically and, uh, you know, engage and, and have opportunities for exercise and have inviting stairwells where I, I tried to take the <laughs> stairs out of a parking garage the other day and we kept getting stuck. We literally wound up back in the same place four times because we kept hitting dead yeah, ends, right? right? And we were following the exit signs and we, we couldn't Get Alarm out. Alarm will sound if you open the door. Exactly. Yeah, I hate when yeah. I run into those so, in the So, you know, that's a design choice. That's not the end right. user. End user was trying to do their <laughs> part. Was trying to walk <laughs> up the stairs. So, um, and it's not just about stairs. There's a lot of there's yeah. a lot of pieces to that. I'm simplifying, but you know, that's an example of uh, of why it kind of all starts, uh, you know, in the beginning. But you gotta you gotta follow it all the way through. Excellent, excellent, huge topic. Any other big pieces? I'm sure we're going to want to dive into more of this in future episodes. Yeah, I uh, want to just encourage people not to be stymied by the fact that it is a huge topic. Pick nice. something. Pick Good. one thing that piques your interest and do it on your next project yep. and follow through with and it. And manageable, and it's practical and manageable, and you can do it. And yep. Nice. Yeah. So if we talk about this again in five years, what do you think we'll be talking about? What will have changed Oh man, I think you know what? I think we're going to see a lot of change around that material sector, and I am imagining uh, that things will start to cause cancer outside of the state of California. <laughs> it's also true on the sensor side of thing. We're getting many more low-cost, more affordable sensors, so people have the capability to actually evaluate conditions a lot more. That's a great point. Yeah, well, people yeah. will be taking more, uh, maybe more ownership of evaluating the health of their environments, and or, then they'll hold other, you know, entities, including manufacturers and designers, accountable. And consumers can actually assess their indoor air quality. Yeah. And yeah, and make make put changes. Up a yeah. Plus, to yeah. whoever. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you very much, Maureen. Thanks for having me. Right on. Thank you for listening to Buildings and Beyond. For more information about the topics discussed today, visit www.swinter.com slash podcast and check out the episode show notes. Buildings and Beyond is brought to you by Stephen Winter Associates. We provide energy, green building, and accessibility consulting services to improve the built environment. Our professionals have led the way since 1972 in the development of best practices to achieve high-performance buildings. Our production team for today's episode includes Dylan Martello, Alex Mirable, and myself, Heather Breslin. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.